Welcome to Subjectively Correct Sports with David Henderson and Anthony Montague. Hey, David. Hey, Anthony. So something that has never happened in, in at least 134 years happened this morning. That's cool. David, what day is today? February 2nd. Yes, and you said that correctly. February. <laughs> or better known as? Bill Murray Day? Yeah, exactly. I don't know if it's possible to say Groundhog Day is an underrated movie, but I feel like it's an underrated movie. I think it's a talked about movie, but not a watched movie. Yeah. It's the Napoleon Dynamite of 80s movies. Was it an 80s movie? No, I don't think so. I think it was an early 90s movie. Okay. But the. Uh, Google can help us figure that out yeah, real quick. But the idea is of Napoleon Dynamite. Everyone I started talks Googling about it. Google. Did you really? Yes. What came up? Google, Google, and tell me what comes up. G-O-O. G No, you're just typing in Groundhog Day. You're supposed to Google, Google. Well, I thought that wouldn't be... A, let's see. And 1993. Is it still in theaters? Is it, are there some showings today? There are some showings today. That makes sense. I mean, it's not that surprising. But 93, okay? Yeah. But, but I feel like it's the, the 90s equivalent of... Uh, of Napoleon Dynamite because everyone knows it and everyone talks about it and quotes it, right? Especially yeah. like one time a year. The but, styles of the movie are a little different. But yeah. Well, yeah, the styles are different. I'm not saying they're comparable movies, but uh-huh. I'm saying they're similar in that uh, everyone has seen them and everyone talks about them and quotes them and stuff. But You probably have an opinion on it. Yeah, but you like you don't watch it ever. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I used to watch it a lot back when um, my great uncle would... Um, make VHS tapes of, like, all the current movies for us and send them to us when I was little. Nice. Like, we had this huge cache of VHS tapes. And uh, I was like, any 90s movie, PG-13 and under, we had it. That's and awesome. watched it all the time. So we had something like that, too. We had a big screen TV when they were, like, as deep as they were wide. Uh-huh. Remember those, uh-huh. right? And, and, and it was 600 pounds. Uh-huh. And it was sitting on top of a little entertainment thing, but it was more just like a... a, like a it's almost like a dais. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. And there was a huge open space underneath, and it was just filled with mm. bins of yeah. VHSs. Took up so much space, and now all those movies fit into your packet. Yeah. Digitally, right? Right. So much better. Well, via my Apple TV, I have access to, like, I, I mean, if you count Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, what do you think? 10, 15,000 different things I could watch right now? Oh. Way more than that. Way more. You know, uh, not all of it's like verified, reviewed content, by the way. Some of it is just <laughs> stuff that got thrown on there. Like, not from like a in, like independent And then you add in like YouTube, right? Or yeah. like an iTunes, like stuff you can buy. And anyways. So Punk's Tony Phil. Yep. The Groundhog, the one and only 134-year-old Groundhog. He did not see his shadow. This morning. And why is that important? Well, one, it means six less weeks of winter. Is that what it means? It's, yeah, that's what that means. I've never understood this, man. Like, but, why? I'll, okay, go ahead. It's a pagan tradition, okay? Passed on by our forefathers. All right. But Before they not only did he not see a shadow, he didn't see a shadow last year, David. Okay. And, and he's only not seen his shadow 20 times in 134 years. And he's never not seen his shadow two years in a row. Here's the thing. Climate change. Is that what it is? Climate change? <laughs> Here's the thing. If I was in charge of this, this 
this little deal that they got going on, right? Is it snowing in this picture of them doing it this year? Is it snowing? I mean, it may be artificial. That looks like snow. Artificial Maybe snow? Maybe they've got, a, like, a bubble machine going. That looks pretty snowy. And so it's snowing. The groundhog comes out. He doesn't see a shadow, presumably because... Also, is there, like, some kind of tie around the go- groundhog? No. There's, like, some wire around it to make no, no, sure no. it doesn't scratch him. That's got to be straw or something. Uh, right? That's not, like... They wouldn't tie down Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil. No. Do they train the... the go- it's like, is it a trained one? Do they get a really chill one? Or is it just, like, whatever gopher off the street? Well, he's the it? magical groundhog. Punxsutawney Phil is 134 years old. So I think he just knows the routine at this point. Yeah, I mean, if he didn't know it after 134 years, I'd start worrying about him. Yeah. Also, looking at these pictures on their Instagram account, there are hundreds, if not a thousand people in the early morning on a su- on Super Bowl Sunday just waiting to see a groundhog. They're the type of people that watch the Super Bowl for the commercials. <laughs> we are honored, said Governor Tom Wolf. Who? <laughs> Governor of what? Governor of Pennsylvania. Like, traditional, like... Oh, like the guy, like uh, Ted from, from Parks and Rec who gets thrown into the river every year? That guy? Or like legitimate governor? Groundhog Day is a beloved Pennsylvania tradition that has embraced wholeheart- has been embraced wholeheartedly by communities across the country. We are honored, Phil. Okay. Who's, who's doing the action in this sentence? We are honored. Phil has called our Commonwealth his home for more than 100 years. So they are And honored. look forward to continuing to share his prediction with visitors, residents, and the millions watching from their homes. Now that is a sentence. <laughs> As the English teacher, let's break that down. So they are honored. So there's the subject of the sentence right there, that they are honored. And they are honored that Phil has done this thing. Phil has called our Commonwealth his home for more than 100 years. Okay, and look so, forward. So there's so two, then, two, indi- there are two independent clauses, right? We are honored. They are, but they're smashed in here. So actually, then, Phil, Phil has called our Commonwealth his home. That's actually a, a verb clause. Because it's what Phil is doing, right? So yeah. they are honored that Phil has done this thing. So they are actually, the we in this sentence is the subject. And Phil has called our commonwealth his home for more than 100 years. That is a, a verb clause, right? Okay. Where it's basically a whole phrase. It's a whole sentence. It's a complete sentence yeah. within, yeah. But it's acting as a clause, yeah. right? Because it, it's it's what they are honored by, right? And then... But, but the fact that Phil has called their commonwealth his home... As if Phil had a choice. Yeah, right? I wonder... I mean, did Phil... Was he, like, you know, early life... He just finished graduate school, right? Sure. In, in uh, meteorology, yeah. right? At, at Minnesota University. With high hopes of being the world's most renowned weatherman. Of course. And, uh... Longest running, probably. <laughs> and he said, you know, I could go to San Diego, but pretty boring for a meteorologist, right? right? I could go... To Minnesota, but, I mean, who wants to deliver bad news half the year? Right. No one likes the weatherman of Minnesota, (laughs) right? It's going to be rainy, cold, or snowy today. But then he makes the most difficult decision of all of going to Pennsylvania, a place place notorious for booing their heroes. Right? Oh, that's right. They booed Santa. (laughs) And, uh, and, And he picks the worst job of telling people, oh, yeah, it's going to be colder for longer. If you had a job where you worked one day of year and delivered terrible news to a large group of people, but then were able to peace out for 364 days, would yeah. you take it? It's like the anti-Santa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Santa, Santa brings goodness one day a year. Right. The, but you're, you're the, whatever the, uh, the Dwight Schrute version of, of, of uh, Santa oh, is. The Belschnickel. <laughs> is that what it is? The Belschnickel is nigh. <laughs> um, Have you been impish or admirable? <laughs> 
Okay, so so the scenario is I can I have to do something that that makes people sad or mad, but it's only one day a year. Yep. And otherwise, like I don't have to work. Well, what does Punxsutawney Phil do for the other 364 days? I imagine he's grazing. Yeah. He's reading the signs. Sure. Uh, what if what if he's just like googling? That's a great question. Right. Like, what if he's googling what's the weather going to be like in in seven weeks, just so he knows what to do. Here's my thing. Also, yeah, go ahead. If it's cloudy, he doesn't see a shadow, right? I, I guess not. So I've actually never seen the shadow process, like the does he see a shadow or not process. I'm not sure. Where that happens. Yeah, I'm not sure. Also, is it him seeing his shadow or us seeing his shadow? No, no. It's all about what the gopher does. So Punxsutawney Phil, for the last 134 years. He's a groundhog, years, by the way. What'd I say? Gopher. Whatever it is. I, I was thinking like Minnesota Golden Gophers, the <laughs> university. Anyway. Whose coach kind of looks like the gopher from uh, from uh, from Winnie the Pooh? Anyway, okay. he does. Look it up. So he uh, he comes out, and if he sees his shadow, supposedly, and he goes back into his burrow, that's because you know more winter's coming, so he goes to hibernate longer. Right? Got it. But if he comes out and just stays and hangs out up at the top, it means he's ready to stop his hibernation or his resting. What if he's just lonely? Just wants some cut. Wants <laughs> some hugs. I, my options are going back in my hole for a year or hanging out with you fine people. Right. Or maybe he's hungry. <laughs> or maybe he has to go to the bathroom. Right? There's so many what, factors that What have if he to has dementia this? He's 134 years old. That's true. He could have dementia and just not remember which way's home. Just get lost. He's just lost. Huh. 30,000 people turned out to I, celebrate ground, the Groundhog's prediction this year, David. 30,000 people. How many of them actually saw the gopher? That's my question. Uh, what is it, a groundhog? How many people actually saw the groundhog? I imagine, like, with your admission fee, you get assigned, you know, 8 by 10 of Punxsutawney Phil. I don't know. <laughs> At only 22 inches and 20 pounds, Phil might be small, but he is still America's favorite furry weather forecaster. Uh, Said Groundhog Club Inner Circle President... Bill Dealey. Let me repeat his title. Groundhog Club Inner Circle President Bill Dealey. So, there's the general Groundhog Club, David. Sure, we call okay. them the Outer Circle. <laughs> and and it, the president there is, is Phil Dealey, Bill's younger brother, okay? But then there's... Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm just joking. Okay. I made that part up. But then, okay. I liked it too much for it to be true. <laughs> but then... I assume after many years of service, sure. sacrifice, yep. and uh, and loyalty offerings, you can make it to the Groundhog Club Inner Circle. And should you prove your medal in the Inner Circle, you may someday be its president. Oh, the Inner Circle. It's the Circle. And the game is show. Punch the Tony Punch the keys, Phil. <laughs> Punch the Tony Phil shall have shadow. More winter is coming. Prepare your coach. For when Punxsutawney Phil comes again, we will see if winter is truly coming. Phil. Punxsutawney Phil. <laughs> Anyways, no more winter. And you know what? I can verify. We are in Dallas, Texas. It is 79 degrees on February 2nd. I brought a sweatshirt. I brought long pants just because you know the Texas weather is crazy. And I figured it was going to be cold because Dallas. Yeah. But no, it's 79 oh, degrees. But fret not. On Wednesday, it's 37 degrees. What are you doing, Dad? What, what, what's the deal? Could <laughs> you poop in a group Texas weather? This is why people get sick here. It's not because the weather's bad, or it's like it's just because the weather is like a roller coaster that doesn't stop. It's gonna be 35 degrees in July too. 
I just don't get this I place. Doubt that. Well, I mean, I'm just saying. It was hyperbolic, Anthony. You know what that means? Yeah, it's the, you can like sleep in it and like extend your life. Got it. Bingo. So our uh, devoted listeners will know that um, we're releasing this podcast a little bit later, and we typically will record the first few days of the week. Um, we waited almost 10 days since the last one. Um, and one of the reasons was I had a really busy work schedule. The other reason was I don't know that I would have been able to record, just like keeping it together. As um, And this is obviously a change in tone from our Punk's Tony Phil talk, which is what we do best on this show is segue. Um, and if you're... You do not even have. You don't have to be a sports fan. You don't have to be a fan of anything. You just have to turn on the TV or open um, your phone. You'll know that um, former Laker, NBA great Kobe Bryant and his daughter and seven other um, people tragically died in a helicopter crash uh, a week ago today. We're recording on February second. Um, they were on their way to his daughter's basketball game. Uh, he coached the team, and there was an assistant coach and, and several other players and their families, as well as the pilot in the in the helicopter crash. And um, so I learned about it driving home from church. I saw a text from your mom, David. And, um, and when I saw it, I did a double take. I it didn't it didn't really register the first time, and then I thought. Oh, this has to be a hoax, right? This is a TMZ hoax, or this is not, 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 TMZ jumped on a hoax, right? Like, that's some report on Twitter. Um, because it has happened before that someone has been reported dead only to find, on Twitter, right? Only to find out hours later that that person's okay. And I thought, well, this has to be that, um, what's going on. Um, but then you start looking at different websites and you start seeing additional reports on Twitter and then you start getting texts from other people and it starts to really sink in. Oh my goodness, this actually happened. Um, and I have to admit, and all that happened within like a few minutes, right? And by the time I'm home uh, from church, Laura and the kids go inside and I'm just sitting in the car reading my feed and, and um, trying to process what's happening. And then the tears come and I start thinking, um, how could this happen? Why would this happen? Um, you know, regardless of what, how you feel about Kobe as a player, um, and he's obviously a complex guy and has a very complicated history, and I don't think anyone could argue that he was doing some really great things now, and um, especially with his daughter, with women's basketball. Um, and just being an inspiration to a lot of people. Uh, he was uh, my kind of childhood sports hero. I was uh, 11 or 12 years old when he was drafted and um, then traded to the Lakers. Um, and so all of my teenage years uh, and then into my 20s and actually even into my 30s, um, he was my guy. He was my favorite sports figure um I named a cat mamba um and then 
you know, it wasn't like Kobe was in my consciousness every day because, you know, he had retired and really it's been, you know, six years or so since he's really been um, the superstar basketball player, right? Ever since he ruptured both Achilles, he hasn't really been the same. Um, So it's not like, it's not like I was thinking about Kobe every day, right? But all of a sudden he's gone and he's never going to make another contribution as well, you add that to just the tragedy that this was, where young young women lost their lives, family members lost their lives. Um, a really experienced pilot that you know other NBA stars and other people really trusted, uh, he lost his life, and just the magnitude of it. Um, I've never seen a reaction, you know, partly maybe because like most of the people I follow on Twitter are like sports related or have some other connection to Kobe because they're a celebrity or something. Um, and then, but just like the coverage of this, I've never seen anything like this. The outpouring um, of sadness, of admiration, everyone sharing their favorite Kobe story um, over the last week, and especially in the, in the, in the few days following the, the tragedy. Um, and um, it was super emotional. It still is. Um, but being a week removed, um, you know, I've been able to think about it a lot, process it a lot. Got to, you know, watch the Lakers do their tribute to him, which was really um, moving, like uh, you said, David. And, and, and um, you know, it's death is just like a really weird thing because it's there's a finality to it. If you're a believer, right, like I am and you are, we think that, you know, death isn't the end. Um, but it's goodbye for a long time. And uh, and it's goodbye to how we knew you. And, um, and just because we believe there's something um, after this and we'll be able to see our family and friends and be happy together. And, and, you know, this is just a blip in our existence that doesn't take away from the sadness you feel at that sudden loss. Right. And even if it's something you see coming, if it's a grandparent who's had a great life, there's still some sadness because that person, you have to let them go for a little bit. Um, and, and so that, that has been tough. Um, as I sitting in my car reading the news, um, and I started crying and, uh, just remembering some of my favorite things about Kobe. Um, and, uh, I thought back, <laughs> it was, um, about nine years earlier or 10 years earlier, almost, um, when I was sitting in my car by myself, listening to the final minutes of the call of uh, the final game of the Lakers Magic um, 2009 NBA championship. Uh, I planned to watch it on TV, but um, where we went to go watch it that day, um, they, they, they decided to cancel cable like the week before and didn't tell us. So I was devastated when we showed up for dinner. Like, uh, the Lakers could clinch today. And so I went to the car. I, I, I ate really quickly. And then I excused myself, went to the car so I could listen to the last few minutes and uh, listen to the Lakers win. And um, 
and and had a few tears then of joy. And I thought about that as I was crying in my car, thinking about thinking about Kobe and all the the wonderful memories. And it's not I didn't know him. I never met him. I've seen him play a few times. Um, and so I had to think about why is this affecting me so much and think about others, you know, on Twitter or wherever, on ESPN. Like, why are all these other people, some met him, some didn't, some were close, some weren't. Why were they crying? Why were they so affected by it? I think there's lots of different reasons. I think one of it is, like, if you're a father, you saw what kind of father he was and he was trying to be. And and Paul Pierce was saying the other day, you know, that these NBA stars, they don't have a life. I mean, basketball is their life, and they're grateful for it. They can, you know, provide for their family for generations sometimes, but they don't have a life. And it's when you retire that you really get to enjoy it, all that hard work. Um, and he said what's, what was so sad for him was that he was – he saw Kobe really starting to enjoy it, like really be happy. And and that all of a sudden it, it was gone. Um, so, you know, and to think about it myself as a father, not being able to be around, raising my kids, there's sadness in that. Um, I think one other thing is that Kobe was more than a basketball player to me. I think like a lot of men or people maybe generally – but at least in my family, the men, like, I didn't bond with my dad and my brother over movies or books or um, a lot of other things. But one thing we bonded over and bonded over strongly is sports. And sports is, um, it's not just a game. I mean, it is a game, but it's, it's so much more important that we talk so much about how important sports are in culture um how how it it's more than just entertainment it brings people together it can unite a nation it can divide a nation and at least for my family some of the greatest moments was being able to be together and celebrate the championships celebrate your team and your player being at the apex of competition being able to hug each other and it's just a pure unfiltered emotion just pure joy and being able to experience that with the people you love and so my dad and my brother we would bond over the Dodgers we'd bond over the Lakers and when Kobe and Shaq were on their tear it was awesome. And then Kobe and Powell and the, and the rest of the gang later on, that was great as well. We'd call each other, text each other. Um, and the first person to call me after news of Kobe Roke was my brother. And we don't, we don't talk on the phone that much. I love my brother. He loves me. But we don't always, we don't talk that much but almost always when something big happens with the teams that we love or the players we love there's some communication and we're brought together again even if for a moment and the fact that the person who's probably allowed 
the most moments of that joy and the most moments of that bonding for me with my dad and my brother that he's now gone it doesn't lessen the joy that I felt but it saddens me that that we won't get to do that again with him and maybe we wouldn't have anyways he's he was retired right but but Kobe was more than a basketball player to me um I guess that's kind of what I wanted to say about Kobe. Um, and I'll always cherish like the memories of him playing. And, and, and you know, luckily he played in an era, especially towards the end, where there's unlimited number of highlights. And, you know, I re-watched his, his last game um, since he died. I re-watched his 81-point game. I can go back and do that anytime, and And that's awesome. Um it's a real tragedy for those families involved who will not get their dad back, who will not get their daughter back, who will not get their mom back. Um, and so we you know, pray for them and hope that they will be able to come out of this. And I know there's a lot of support, um, outreach for those families, and hopefully they do feel loved and supported. Um, so, yeah, David, that's didn't mean to have a monologue to start off this segment um but i just felt like i needed to get some of those thoughts out about about kobe and and the tragedy no i'm glad you did and uh, i won't ruin it by saying much I, I just uh i showed uh i talked to my classes after it happened it's you see the impact on 17 18 year old kids at a school thousands of miles away from where he played and there were kids that that when we talked about it were in tears the impact of Kobe Bryant goes well beyond basketball and it goes well beyond his fans and his generation, but people all over the world and kids that never really saw him play really in his prime are, are feeling for his loss. And uh, we talked about, I, I told my students that the thing that I respected most about Kobe Bryant was that he pursued the thing he loved the most with 100% passion. And that's what Mamba mentality means to me, that you, would, that you, you love something and you pursue it with all the passion that you can. And I feel like that's missing in the world in a lot of times. We have so many things in the world that we can't, that can divert our attention, that we don't attack anything with 100% uh, fierceness and with a Mamba mentality. But he did that with the thing that he loved. And he was starting to do that with the thing that he loved the most, which was his family. And, and that to me is the greatest tragedy, that, uh, that Kobe Bryant, the father, was taken away from us. Kobe Bryant, the player, is cemented. That's never going away. Uh, but Kobe Bryant, the father, was taken away. And Gianna Bryant was taken away. Um, in his documentary, uh, I mean, his, uh, his short film that, uh, that he wrote mm -hmm. and voiced called Dear Basketball, he said, you asked for my hustle, and I gave you my heart. And I don't know of anybody that did that better and, and with more fierceness than Kobe Bryant did. He gave his heart to the things that he loved the most. And that's what I'll remember about Kobe Bryant. And, and um, thanks for saying that, David. Um, so turning to the sports angle on this, right, um, as opposed to the, the human kind of element, um, this is like new territory for the NBA. We were talking about this. There's yeah. not been a, an NBA legend that has passed away, really. Yeah, I mean, right? you've got... 
maybe like a Pete Maravich or something like like but but basketball is so young compared to baseball and football like really we're talking about the 1950s on right and 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 so you still have Bill Russell right he was like one of the first major stars of the NBA. He's still out there every finals given away the right. finals MVP trophy. Right. Dr. J was on an Dr. episode J of The Office. is there. Kareem right. is still around. Oscar Robertson is still... I mean, most of the greats are still there. Unlike baseball, Ruth, Mantle, Dimaggio, these are ghosts. I mean, in, in and I say that in a... I don't mean to say that because they're dead. I mean, just because, like, we've never known them. Like, anyone born in the last 60 years... You know, doesn't know of these guys, or they know of them, but they they weren't around, right? Um, but I, I can't think of a time in any sport where a, a surefire first ballot Hall of Fame legend, I mean, he's top two in his position of all time, yeah, right? And I don't remember a player like that that was at the pinnacle of the sport for so long and was a legend for so many people for so many years, really a, a worldwide phenomenon that changed the game again after Jordan did, yeah. right? Uh, I can't think of a time we lost someone like that. Yeah, and and lost them so young and so and and even and before they were in the Hall of Fame, right? This was the year that Kobe was eligible. Was again, like you said, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, Tim Duncan in the class as well, another first ballot Hall of Famer. Great, it, it's a great Hall of Fame class. Uh, it was going to be really interesting to see who was going to induct him into the hall right who he was going to pick to to get up and 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 give a speech Shaq was hoping it would be him I still hope I mean what I would love is that they they'll obviously still induct him and they'll still have someone give a speech I would love if they could somehow do some compilation of Kobe speaking right so we had him in his own words what he might have said right maybe something from the family as well Um, but I'd love to see one or two or five it doesn't matter you know, it could be three hours long. People would watch. Just let them get up there and 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 share kind of what their feelings are on Kobe as the player. And I think the respect that everyone has for Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, and those other guys that will be inducted this year, they will be just fine taking a back seat to let everyone talk about Kobe Bryant. <laughs> it, there could not be a better fellow inductee for this year than Tim Duncan, yep. the most understated amazing basketball player of all time right i mean he he was never about the glory right he was about winning enabling his teammates uh so i think he will feel right at home in in whatever they decide to do um but so so as we're saying that the nba unlike other sports they've never really had to to grapple with something like this so the the logo jerry west is still alive that's right. The logo right? is still alive. Right? And, and there's been a lot of talk about changing the logo to Kobe Bryant. Right. I, I would love that personally. I they've mean, been, they've been talking about changing the logo. Yeah. People said it should be Michael Jordan. But I yeah. mean, how cool would it be if next year they unveil a logo like the first like opening night and it's Kobe Bryant dribbling the ball? Yeah. His shorts a little more baggy, right? Yeah. The, the little bit of a fro. It would mirror what the NBA is today. Yeah. Right? And I think that'd be so much cooler than, than the Jerry West logo. Yeah. I, I mean, that, w- that would be cool. I don't. Yeah, I'm not going to be upset at the NBA if they decide to keep it. But, yeah, I, and I think they are kind of thinking, like, struggling maybe, or maybe not struggling, but just still just coming up with how do we honor that, because it's such a new, unprecedented territory for them, how do we properly honor one of the greats of the game that was taken far too soon? And, and one thing they're doing at the All-Star Game, 
uh, is that uh, I forget which side's which, but I think Team Giannis is wearing Team uh, number 24, and then Team LeBron is going to wear number two, which was Gianna Bryant's number. Um, and then I know there's some new format with the how the game's actually going to be played. Yeah, for, I didn't really follow it, to yeah, be honest. Well, basically, at, at the end of the game, it's first to 24. First at team, the end of the game? In the fourth quarter. I think so at the beginning of the fourth quarter. So nothing really zero. matters. Yeah, Got that's it. how it was until in the, the All-Star game anyway. That's right, right that's right. So nothing matters until the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah, so fourth quarter is going to be actual basketball. First team to 24 wins is the way I understood it. Okay, well, that's cool. Um, and so many teams, I think every team that's played, uh, at least the first game they've played since since uh, news of his his death, um, they've done, you know, a twenty four second violation to start the game, followed by either another twenty four second violation or an eight second backcourt violation to honor his two numbers, number twenty four and number eight, um, and that's just been a really um, moving thing to see, and fans across the league doesn't ma- Celtics fans, Kings fans, you know, two of the rival fan, they're cheering for Kobe um yeah you know in my in my thing uh and like you said it's it's league-wide right it doesn't matter where you are where you're from I think the greatest compliment that I can give Kobe Bryant is you either loved him if you were a Kobe fan or a Lakers fan you loved him he was your favorite he was the best and if he wasn't you hated him because he killed your team if you saw him biting his jersey just just put the ball in the bucket and move on right I, I think um I love the Kobe system commercials, but I think my favorite Kobe commercial is, is when he was retiring. They would run it, and it's all the people booing him, right? And he loved it, right? Like, and he did. He he loved playing the villain. He loved being the hero at Staples Center, but he loved playing the villain. He loved going into the opposing arena and quieting the crowd. Um, and um, it was wonderful for 20 years to know that you got to root for the hardest working guy in the building. Winner, winner, win or lose, you never felt cheated after a Kobe Bryant performance. Um, he went six for twenty-four in Game Seven of the two thousand ten Finals, and he still had his fingerprints all over that game. Um, when he when his Achilles ruptured, when his Achilles ruptured, he walked to the free throw line. Made two free throws and then, <laughs> and then walked to the locker room. And you know why he did that? That's amazing. He did that because if if you don't shoot those free throws, you can't come back into the game. And he was hoping to find a way to come back into the game. Uh, anyways, I I don't know. Um, I know we'll, we'll get lots of lot more Kobe tributes over the remainder of the season. Um, All Star Game. There's, I'm sure they've got some nice things planned. Probably during the finals, they'll do something. Um, uh, and then definitely the Hall of Fame. Uh, and, you know, as for the Lakers, how this affects them as a team, um, I'm glad they canceled the game Tuesday night against the Clippers. That seemed way too soon. Um, you know, Friday night they had a game. They did a really great tribute, very emotional. LeBron James went out afterwards, gave a speech. That was super emotional. The fact that Boys to Men from Philadelphia yeah, sang the national anthem. That's right. That was cool. Um, Kobe's from Philly. And, uh, you know, Lakers, they, they played okay. But uh, Dame Lillard, who, you know, side note, he's been on a tear lately. Um <laughs> <laughs> He's just beating up teams left and right, almost single-handedly. Uh, he had a phenomenal performance. Trailblazers ended up winning, um, but you know, I 
that felt like a game like it didn't really the outcome didn't really matter. It was just good for everyone to get back on the court yeah. well, and play basketball again. I've never felt the way I felt watching that game where it almost felt silent. Like oh, the, the first bouncing. half was oh, it was so silent. quiet, and and that was surprised me. So they would cheer whenever the Lakers would make a dunk or a shot or something like that, but it it, it always died it down. It was always quickly. stifled, yeah. Yeah, and then when the Blazers had the ball, you could hear everything, every squeak of the shoe, every time the ball bounced, it felt like it was right next to your head. Yeah, the, the little bit of crowd noise that was there, you could hear everything. Like, I mean, I, I'm being a vendor at Staples that night would have been terrible. It's like popcorn, and like everyone <laughs> yeah. can hear you. I would have hated yeah. that job, man. Uh, but uh. I think, and I don't know how you'd feel about this, but if I were the Laker organization, I would very seriously consider naming the court Kobe Bean Bryant Court. Oh, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, I think I think some kind of uh, permanent tribute yeah. w- is very fitting. And they talk about having a statue of him. Like, I'm not the Lakers PR or whatever, but I think it would be really cool to have a statue of him and Gianna together, <laughs> right? And then have another one of him, like, dunking on somebody. Because <laughs> those are the two ways that I, would want, that I want to remember Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Fierceness on the court. And the loving nature of him seeing him as a father later in life. Yeah, uh, that, uh, that that's the stuff that really gets to me. <laughs> really, uh, okay. Well, um, so we'll see. I how this how this affects the Lakers moving forward. I don't know. The season almost feels like at this point, right? I'm sure. I'm sure emotions will will fade at some point, and and will become more focused on the wins and losses. Uh, but right now, it almost it, it really feels secondary, you know, um, to 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 what happened as it should. Um, so, anyways, I don't really have a good way out of this. Well, uh, for for sure, the rest of the show is going to be a little bit difficult because we're very excited about today. Yeah. Right. This is going to be a very strange emotional <laughs> day for me, where we're talking about Kobe Bryant, and even though I wasn't a Kobe fan per se, I loved the way he played, and I respected him so much. And the more I think about him as an adult, where I've kind of like. Stepped away from my yeah, separate the, separate the player from the person. Yeah, yeah and I, I can step away from like my fandom when he was beating teams that I was rooting for. Yeah, and just like look at it objectively, like because I feel like I'm much more objective as a sports fan now, except for the Cowboys. <laughs> That's the only thing I'm still like super unobjective about. Like I will never like them. But just stepping back, looking at Kobe objectively, I, I can't. Mm. I just can't express how it felt to watch him play mm. when it was just like you were afraid of him. Yeah. If you were on the other side, you were absolutely afraid you, of Kobe Bryant. You know how good he was because Laura and I would go to jazz games because we lived uh, in Utah wearing Kobe Bryant shirts. I had eight, she had twenty-four, and we would be booed. Yeah, <laughs> we would yep. be booed. We would be cursed at. You know, and would anyone have cared if we had a Lamar Odom jersey on? No, <laughs> no, and that's no disrespect to Lamar, right? But there was just something different about Kobe. All right, Hall of Fame, rough transition time. Like, this is going <laughs> to the Hall of Fame of rough transitions. Yeah. So, uh, in a, we were talking during our little break there, and I was like, all right, we need to do something a little happier now for, that, for us, right? Get the, get the spirits up a little bit. So I took a sip of Coca-Cola. <laughs> Vanilla, vanilla, yeah. vanilla Coca-Cola, a little smoother, right? On yeah. a rough day when your throat might be a little, feeling a little bit, throat's feeling tight. So what do you do? You, you take that sip of vanilla Coke and you talk Super Bowl. Super Bowl. So I've been saying it for a while. My team is playing important games in January. And that <laughs> makes me feel good. But guess what, Anthony? What? It's February. It's February! And my football team is playing an important game in February. And it's not the XFL. 
I and it's so, not the Pro Bowl. Right? I'm so excited about this, right? Uh, I have a team with a great head coach, with a quarterback that does what needs to be done, one of the best defenses in the league, and a linebacker that should have won Defensive Player of the Year. More on that later. And, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. And, of course, we're going against the terrible, scary team, the Kansas City Chiefs, which is the greatest show on turf 2.0. Yeah, right? when, when Mahomes is on, it's the most prolific offense in football. It's nerve-wracking. But I have a team that can rush four and drop seven and still get to the quarterback. I'm excited. I'm very excited yeah. for this game today. But I'm also apprehensive. Why? Because Shakira is going to be doing the halftime show, and I like her music, mm. but I'm afraid we're going to have to change the channel because children are going to be around, <laughs> and I'm not and I'm not sure if, if her dancing, if her if her uh, truth telling hips are going to be appropriate for my kids to watch. Right? Well, isn't it a isn't it a duo show? Isn't it uh, it's uh, Shakira and J Lo, right? Uh huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And some people are upset that like Shakira's opening the show, right? Like, why isn't J-Lo? Uh, it's like, well, Shakira is like an, has been an international superstar for years. No, no disrespect to yeah. J-Lo, right? Yeah. I, mean, she is, I mean, she can, like, heal any reputation, right? Like, we're talking about Kobe Bryant. Like, he healed his reputation because yeah. he had a big scene, right? That was a, an amazing a reversal, and he's a great example of uh, redemption, right? Yeah. But she, by herself, redeemed <laughs> Alex Rodriguez, right? You know what's funny, though? J-Lo uh, did you Did you hear what Rod- Alex Rodriguez said about Kobe? No. He said Kobe's been his, like, secret coach. For like the last few years, and I wonder if it's because of that rehabilitating the image thing, oh my right? Gosh. Kobe has his fingerprints in everything. It was—it's amazing the number of stories. And I, uh, sorry, I'm bringing it back to Kobe. Well, it's—it's it's part of the. But, it's just yes. It's but it's amazing the, the just the number of people have reached out and said, "Oh yeah, he called me after this," or right. "Yeah, he right before I was about to give this speech, he called me and, and told me this," right? And uh, and how many people he reached out to for advice, right? He reached if there was someone great in it. Uh, non-sports, right? Like a musician who was great, an author who was great. Um, Ramona Shelburne talks about him sending her stuff that he was writing and saying, be as critical as possible. Ramona Shelburne's a you know journalist, a reporter for ESPN. Um, and she, and he, she, he would send her stuff and she'd be like, oh yeah, it's good. And he's like, no, like get out your red pen. Like, <laughs> yeah, be harsh with me. Cause that's, he knew that was the only way he could improve. So, uh, Sorry, one more Kobe story. So he uh, he had been injured or something. He's coming back and he's practicing with the Lakers for the first time in a long time. And yeah. he is scorching everybody on the court. And he walks out of practice yelling at Mitch Kupchak, the then GM, to get some other of these guys in here because these guys ain't crap. And you're saying, how am I supposed to get better playing against these guys? No wonder we've lost 20. And he walks out of the gym. I was like, whoa. Like, friendships don't last. Jimmy but, but- Butler could never. Well, I mean, he could, he could try. He, could try. He, he may have ruined Carl Anthony Towns. He broke, I, I don't know he if, broke him. Yeah, I don't know if Carl Anthony... I, I saw his stat. I, I don't know if it's true. I didn't verify it. But it said Carl Anthony Towns hasn't won a game since December. No. Or something like that. I don't know if he's like missing games or something that they wow. have won. But yeah, um, it hasn't been good for him. Anyway, we're talking about Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Okay, so I am in a great position on this Super Bowl Sunday in that... Also, the team I root for, uh, albeit much quietly, much more quietly than the Lakers and Dodgers, but the Niners. They've got, you know, my heart's with the Niners today. Yeah, you? But I love the Chiefs. Like, I, I really like the Chiefs on a, like, from a fan perspective. I don't like them more than the Niners, but I like them a lot. And if the Niners weren't in, in the Super Bowl, I'd want the Chiefs to win. I love Andy Reid. Love Patrick Mahomes. Man, I hope Andy Reid can paint a Mozart tonight. <laughs> and so... That's I've, a joke, by the way. I know that Mozart was a music guy. Okay, that's an Andy Reid joke. Yes, uh, man, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get so much crap for that one. Like people like, you didn't know who Mozart was. Uh, and so I I feel like there's no 
horrible out. There's better outcomes for the Super Bowl, but there's no horrible outcome for the Super Bowl for me. Like I'll enjoy the post Super Bowl coverage. Often when my team doesn't win in a final, I hide from ESPN. Like I don't turn on ESPN for a week or a month. When the Lakers lost oh, yeah, yeah, in the, 2008 the, to the Celtics, I did not turn on ESPN until September. Well, the st- the grieving process, right? Like yes. we, we've covered this in the That's show right. brilliantly, right. yeah. by the way. Yeah. That other people stole, and I'm always going to bring that up when we talk about this. But yeah, you go through the stages of grieving. Uh, it's fascinating. But with this game, you're not going to do that. With this game, I don't think I'm going to do it. One, one because both teams feel like they can be back next year, and you never know in football, right? Dan Marino probably thought he was going to be back. Uh, you know, he was there, what, his second year in the NFL? Ooh, and they're in Miami this year. Harsh, dude. Uh-oh. Harsh. Um, so you never know in football. You're one injury away or whatever, you know. Um, but it feels like both these teams have a pretty good window still. And um, and I, like I said, I like both teams. And I think both teams, whoever wins, will be deserving. I just hope it's a good football game. I hope both teams execute well. I hope it's it comes down to the end. Um, my heart says Niners. My head says... 35 31 Chiefs. Um, and I just see this like two minutes to go, 28 31 Niners, and Mahomes takes him down the field. Kelsey in the end zone. I mean, again, hope it doesn't play out that way, but I could just see that happening. Uh, but if Andy Reid's at the helm, they could have some clock mismanagement. Hopefully, his previous errors do not, hopefully, there have been lessons learned. You think a giant organization like the Chiefs would be like, let's hire a clock guy? Like, what's your job? Your I do the co- clock stuff. I do the I do the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want a timeout, but I also want one more play to the sideline. <laughs> let's check how many timeouts you have. Um, and this is a game of great defense, a great, it's a great offense. But the Chiefs' defense is no slouch, and the Niners' offense is great. So like. It's really not, like, I've heard a lot of stats like, oh, defense was championships when you got a great defense against a great offense. But these are two very complete teams. Yeah. The, the matchups to watch out for are the Niners running game, especially later in the game, versus the, the Chiefs defense, and Patrick Mahomes versus the 49ers defense. Because what you have on the, the Chiefs side of the ball is you have Kelsey, Hill, uh, uh, Sammy Watkins, right? You have guys that they will have difficulty covering one-on-one. Right, so what mm-hmm. the 49ers are going to have to do is drop seven, right? Yeah. Play their play their uh, uh, base packages and play them well and get to Patrick Mahomes yeah. and disturb. Right. If so they can get to him with just the front four, they'll be okay. They'll be, yeah. Right. And they got to put up points early. Yes. Uh, playing from behind isn't San Francisco's strong suit, right? Mm-hmm. But what the Chiefs are going to try to do is stop the run. They're going to try to make uh, Jimmy Garoppolo beat them on the outside and yeah. deep. Okay, because in middle of the field and the running game is where the 49ers are going to beat you. So look for the Chiefs to, to, to stop the run first and then look for them to force Jimmy Garoppolo to throw the ball to the outside. And Jimmy Garoppolo isn't comfortable with that. He's not the best passer um, outside the numbers and deep. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Kyle Shanahan is so prepared that I think he'll have something special for this game. He's had two weeks in his lab. Like Dr. Frankenstein putting together all these different pieces, and he's going to have something special for today. I know it. And I expect a few really interesting running plays that are going to kind of break the game open, and I think, I really hope uh, Mostert has a big game early. And I'm really excited about this game, man. My team is good. Uh, They're playing against a great team. Um, It's just a bummer that both teams are wearing red. (laughs) That might get confusing. Yeah. Uh, Are the Niners wearing white? Uh, I, I think the Niners, I think they're the the away team technically. So I don't know if this is updated for this season, but at least coming into this season, 
Andy Reid was 17 and 3 coming off a of bye week. That doesn't Which well essentially for this is guy. what's happening in the Super Bowl. Although both coaches essentially have a bye week. Um, so, yeah. Andy Reid is a master at game planning when he has time. Um, I think, you know, if you're going coach to coach, I think Kyle Shanahan maybe has the heat right now. But and, and I was going to say Reid has the experience, of, uh, and especially the losing experience, right? But, but Shanahan has it as well. He was the. OC, right? He was the offensive coordinator when the Falcons uh, failed to score once they were up twenty-eight to three on the Patriots a few Super Bowls ago. So they both they've both been in the big game. They've both experienced devastation in the big game. Um, I don't know. I, it feels like this coaching matchup is is pretty close to even. I think you know resume wise, Andy Reid far and away. But in terms of right now, one game, uh, I'd be hard pressed to pick uh, a favorite among the coaches. Right? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty even there yeah, too. But, I, I think. Yeah. Andy Reid definitely needs to win a Super Bowl to cement himself as one of the best coaches ever. Yeah. He is that, though. He is one of the best I, offensive I think, minds we've seen. I think he's a Hall of Fame coach regardless of what happens in this in this game. Um, but, yes, I think, like, like you said, to be considered a Jimmy Johnson, right, a, a Bill Walsh. He won't be considered a Bill Walsh. I mean, Bill Walsh won, what, four Super Bowls? Um, but, yeah, in that upper echelon of coach, coaches, yeah, I think you're right. And Shanahan, would it be the first father-son duo, Super Bowl winning coaches? Well, there's got to be a Lombardi in coaching somewhere, right? I mean, Super Bowl. Oh, I don't know about like Super Bowl head coaches. Super Bowl head coaches. I don't know. That's a great question. I would love to. Interesting. Yep. Uh, Definitely royalty, right? If uh, Kyle Shanahan has a son. Yeah. So yeah, super excited. We'll um, whenever our next podcast is, probably in a few days from now, uh, we'll we'll have our complete reaction and breakdown of the Super Bowl. Uh, hopefully, it's a joyous event. Um, if not, there's always next year. All right. So the NFL does its uh, awards, right? Right. I'm gonna cut off that uh, right uh, at the beginning. So <laughs> just start talking. You don't need to be like, oh, okay, I'm gonna get ready to talk now. Yeah. I'm like a I'm like a lawnmower getting ready to start. You can't quite start. Mm. Like, okay. All right. Well, <clears throat> here we go. Yeah. I'm gonna start talking now. Like, no, right. just start talking. People are like listening to you already. If they yeah. made it this far. I mean, you could just start now. Huh? What? You could just actually start. All right. We ready? Should I start now? It's recording. Tapes rolling. So. Defensive Player of the Year was not Fred Warner. That's a shame. It yeah. doesn't matter who it was because the person who deserved it didn't get it. Stefan Gilmore. Or whatever. Cornerback New England Patriots. Good for Like him. they need any more trophies. For real. Uh, good for them. Uh, Nick Bosa was the Pepsi Rookie of the Year. I mean, defensive. If it was the, yeah. No, just Rookie of the Year. Straight oh, rookie. Pepsi yeah. Rookie. He was, Pepsi, he was also the Defensive Rookie of the Year. So he's double dipping on that award a little bit. I don't know what that oh, means. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Does the uh, NFL have a... Okay, cool. If it was the Coca-Cola player of the year, I'd be like, cool. <laughs> but the Pepsi player of the year, get that out of my life. So when a waiter or waitress comes to me, it's, oh, I guess we need to call them servers now. So when a server comes to me and was like, Flight like yeah, what we, what we have to drink? And I'm like, I'll have a Coke. And like, is Pepsi okay? I'm like, no, Karen. Pepsi is not okay. <laughs> do not bring me a Pepsi. Do you, do you not take Pepsi? No, I don't. I don't like it. So what, you just have water instead? Or root beer or something like that. Maybe uh, a Dr. Pepper. I dabble. So... Are you convinced if I blindfolded you? Yes, I could tell the difference. <sighs> All right, I think we got something for next show. I won 100%. Hug it. You're going to do something weird. You're going to have like a Diet Coke, like a regular Pepsi or something like I'm that. Mr. Mustard in the Coke. <laughs> I'll be able to tell like, oh man, that's a vanilla Coke with Dijon mustard. So does Coke taste 
I mean, does Pepsi taste sweeter to you? Like, what is it? Oh, it's just it's just a different cola taste. Like, I think the levels of sweetness are about the same. I don't know, but it's just it's a different flavor, and I I can tell the difference. I have a refined cola palate. Interesting. So Lamar Jackson was the MVP of the league, the second unanimous MVP, other than who? Some guy named Tom Brady. Uh, so okay. I was gonna say Jerry Rice. Okay. <laughs> uh, it feels like Jerry Rice should have been at some point. A unanimous MVP? Yeah. Well, compiler, that guy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He was absolutely one of the best. Yeah, uh, compiler of catches and touchdowns and wins. And Super Bowls. And Super Bowls. And, and, and records. So he, uh, <laughs> you know how, like, uh, anyway, moving on from that thought. Uh, I saw a very... shirt. I sh- saw a shirt that said it was Sis Tom quarterback, and it T O M, and it's got Brady's face on it. That's nice. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, you can say that about Jimmy Garoppolo, but he's not a system quarterback. Okay. No. He's a very handsome. He's a system GQ quarterback. model turned pro football player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he stopped playing football right now and just did modeling, would he make more money? Uh, yeah. Huh. Yeah, models make a lot of money, David. I should know. The way you're going, you're going to be a model. Thank you. So, what was I talking about before? Jerry Rice is very Kobe-esque to me. Yeah. Like, his work ethic was insane. He yeah. would take, after he retired... Catch bricks! Yeah, yeah, after he retired, he would take uh, NFL rookies and second-year guys that were really good players like through his summer workout routine, and they would be exhausted. That's cool. Then he would kick their butts, right? Oh, I love Jerry Rice. So one thing I wish that if I had more time during football practices in high school to emulate... I wish that every time I caught the ball, I would run it to the end zone, wherever the end zone was, right? Jerry Rice would do that. No matter where he caught the ball on the field during practice stuff, he would run it to the end zone. <laughs> and, like, in high school, they would be like, Dave, come on, Dave, Dave Henderson, come, on. come back. Dude, we have one ball. <laughs> Bring the one ball back so we can keep playing. But, like, for them, they're doing drills and stuff, and every time he caught it, he would run it to the end zone. And so you know what he did in the, in the games? He would get to the ball and then and run, run to, run the, to end the end zone. zone. Right? You, you do what you practice, right? That's why I never scored a lot of touchdowns because in practice I'd mm. catch it and just have to turn right back around. I wasn't, you know, I catch the ball in the open field, just like, oh, they'll just drop it and walk back to the huddle. Same, same. <laughs> but anyway, so so the uh, the fact that the last two years in the NFL the MVPs have been black quarterbacks, yeah, I think is so cool. And uh, if you go online, the the Ravens put together a really cool. Uh, video saying thank you to Lamar Jackson and he's inspiring so many people and it's so cool to see him overcome stuff interestingly people talked about him need, he needed to be converted to receiver right if he wanted to play right. in the NFL be successful uh, the winner of the comeback player of the year Brian Tannehill <laughs> was a receiver in college that they converted to a quarterback that they converted to quarterback that's insane isn't that funny that's insane um, I love sports okay. is the ultimate meritocracy and it may take a while, it may take a while, but sports eventually gets it right, in my opinion, right? There was an era where uh, it was almost by default, if you were a black quarterback in high school or college, you weren't at the next level, right? You would, If you were an athlete and black, you would be a skill position, running back, wide receiver, something like that. Um, and but, but the great thing about sports is, for the most part, these teams just want to win. Ball don't lie. <laughs> and Lamar Jackson's ball is always in the end zone. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And so, um, you know, whether it may, whether it takes a little bit of time, and it, it did in, in the NFL, but I think we're to the point now where it really is kind of a colorblind situation, right? The one thing you hope, and I think we said this a few weeks ago, is because of how the Ravens lost, 
right? You hope that it's not a, um, that other GMs don't see this and think, oh, well, yeah, Greg during the regular season, but when it's playoff football time, he didn't get it done. That was, that loss was not on Lamar Jackson. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't his normal self, but he didn't give up 21 was it 21 or 20, 14 points on answer to the yeah. Titans? Whatever it was. It, it's sample size, right? Yeah. Look at this. It doesn't matter where the sample size takes place. Like, it's like doing an experiment and, like, the results are drastically different on a Saturday for some reason. And you're like, oh, well, well we're going to get rid of the experiment. Like, no. Yeah. Like, you would redo that test over and over again before you made your conclusion. Right? So, okay. anyway. All right. Well, hey, so so real quick uh, before I wrap things up, there was an article in the Athletic about uh, Astros baseball it was by Jason Stark, and Stark the question, stuff, man. The, the, and and Eno Saris. I want to give full credit. Um, the question asked was, okay, let's assume Astros did have some form of electronic sign stealing, which the players said as much, and, and has been, I guess, confirmed by MLB if we're to believe reports. Uh, Okay, if they're doing that, does that actually work? Like, is there actually a material advantage to doing that? And uh, to summarize the article, oh yeah, big time, huge, major advantage. And the writers of this were very careful to be like, we're not saying this means this or that. <laughs> like, they were being very political and very yeah. scientific about it. Like, these are just simply our results, right? So I thought that was interesting that they were very careful when they were wording this, but they just basically said, here's what we have found. Here's the research we were able to pull together. We're going to write about it for you. We're going to bring out the interesting things for you here, but we are not going to say definitively that the Astros only won the World Series because they cheated. Yeah. So they were very careful to say that, They're, but the conclusion that I drew yeah. was players made drastic improvements in crazy ways that were unprecedented in the history of this 150-year sport. Yeah. So just like, older, This sport is older than Puxitani Phil. Yeah, so let's just throw some numbers out there. Their, their strikeout difference from 2016 to 2017 was 365 fewer strikeouts okay to put that in perspective before that year and that's the most all time before that year the team with the most drastic change in strikeouts was the 1986 to 1987 Marin or the 1987 Mariners they improved on their 1986 season by 285 fewer strikeouts so what we're saying is the Astros had a 25% better strikeout rate than any other team in history right like like their their improvement was 25% better yeah. than any team in history yeah their year over year improvement was drastically better than any other teams and the other teams in that list are like five apart right? yeah so that's just insane and especially in an era where players are striking out at an unprecedented yes, rate. Right, right. There's value placed on the home run ball, and so players are taught swing for the fences, which leads to increased strikeouts, except for the Astros. And which is so all these other teams from years and years ago, they were all taught to hit, get, put the ball in play, put the ball in play. So strikeouts mm-hmm. were low. Yeah, and and one reason you strike out is because you chase pitches outside the strike zone, right? Essentially, you swing at bad pitches. Okay, the Astros better than any other team minimized their chasing their swing chase okay and which means they they swung at balls that were not hittable because they were outside the strikes yeah so so what the astros did better than anyone else was swing at strikes and lay off balls okay which is a lot easier to do when you know what's coming that's right so for example let's just take uh, a couple players marwin gonzalez in 2016 had a 40 percent swing rate on pitches outside the strike zone so for four out of every ten pitches outside the strike zone, he was swinging at those pitches in 2016. In 2017, ten percent. 
I understand a drop. Ten percent. I understand a drop of of two out of ten balls, maybe, right? Yeah. But to improve that much in a year is just. I mean, in an off season, really, yeah. to improve that much in an off season is just insane. Thirty percent. Jake Marisnik went from thirty percent to thirteen percent. That is even crazy. Carlos Correa went from twenty-seven to fifteen percent. And those drops are more impressive to me because of how low it got. Thirteen from thirty to thirteen. That's insane. And then players that were already good swinging at eighteen percent, like George Springer, all of a sudden we're swinging at twelve percent. That I don't know if you can just say that's a systematic thing. Their coaching got better. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Their slugging percentage on breaking balls in 2016 was 438, in 2017, 508. Okay, um, in on fastballs they slugged 503 in 2016, 577 in 2017. How many? This is a question in the article. How many other teams slugged at least 70 points better at home uh, in 2017 against both fastballs and breaking balls compared to the year before? The answer is none. And I think I think that's not just year to year 16, 2016 to twenty seventeen. That's all time. Yeah, like, that's all time. So how did they? Did any other teams improve by that much in the history of baseball? No, no other team has improved by that much in the history of baseball. Okay, so <laughs> again, again, the article is very cautious to say that anything they did actually contributed to these numbers. But if you're reading this somewhat objectively. I don't know how you get to any other conclusion than what they were doing, including the sign stealing, helped improve their batting averages and their approach at the plate in general. And if it did that, and if it leads to more wins, and it leads to being able to be in the World Series, whether or not they benefited from from it in the World Series or not, I think we're just getting closer and closer to someone in some official capacity saying they're the Houston Houston Asterix, right? Like, this has to be vacated. I don't think it's going to happen just because baseball's... The executives are cowards and and, uh, and not willing to stand up for the integrity of the game. Call out those executives. But every other... Yes, sir. I hope this gets to their ears, and I hope they hear Anthony Montague telling them they're cowards. That made me feel good. Keep it going. I'm your hype man. Let's go. What else you got for him? Give him some more. I think dinner's ready. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Uh, well, in that case, it was a great show. Go Niners. Go Niners. Uh, or Chiefs. I like the Chiefs, too. But I, but go Niners. So I think what you want is you want Patrick Mahomes to throw for 700 yards, and you want the 49ers to win. And I want win. people to say, Andy Reid called a brilliant game. Yeah. But I just want, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. I want Mostert to run for 500 yards and eight touchdowns. Let's it's like go. I, had, I had a friend who, who didn't like Kobe but hated the Celtics. He was a Knicks fan. And so, like, the 2010 championship was great. He's like, Kobe had an, a horrible game seven, and the Celtics lost. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what you were So I want the opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go Niners.